This is the Relevant Podcast. It's Friday, March 5th, 2021, and it's the Relevant Podcast. Here in Orlando, I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and joining me from Loverland, Virginia, it's Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. From Austin, Texas, author, podcaster, speaker, Jamie Ivey. Hey, guys. Back in Texas. And back after two episodes gone, we missed him. Hip-hop artist, producer, mogul, Derek Miner. I missed y'all, man. We what missed up? you. What up? What? Now, we told everybody that you were in Atlanta shooting music videos and stuff for some of the new music you're releasing. How'd it go? Are you, were you happy? I saw some of the well, photos yeah. of you in like Bugattis and stuff like that. I don't know what you were driving. But. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, me and my brother, we rented a uh, we rented rented a, a Stingray top down. It was a beautiful day in Atlanta, and we uh, bought gold grills. So we just I, I went full rapper, like full blown rapper. So you know, okay. It's good. Can, can I ask as a as a person who's never worn a grill? How does it feel in your mouth? Does it feel like, do you get used to it? Or do you always feel like there's something that shouldn't be there? It, it, so when you first put it in, it definitely feels like something that shouldn't be there. Okay. But uh, after a while, you get used to it. I can go get it and show it to you. Do, do I, you do you talk different? Does it change how you enunciate? Hold on, give me some. <gasps> He's going to go get it. <laughs> So you, I saw him. Was don't you get it like fitted for? This sounds like yeah. a dumb question as well. You go in, it's like you're getting Invisalign or something, Invisalign, and it's fitted yeah. just for your teeth. Yeah, but it's way thicker than Invisalign. It just snaps in, it's and that's how I talk. It looks sounds dope, good. Man. Yeah, it looks dope. Does it? It's on the bottom. It's on the bottom. Does it feel like you have like like that lip stuff that people chew chew on and spit out all the time? I tobacco. What this, tobacco. <laughs> yeah. Does it, feel, does it feel like you have that? In like your you mouth? have a dip in. Yeah, dip. Nah. That's what I was looking for. They're it done. feels like a retainer. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Like if you had a retainer or I don't know if you play sports, if you had a mouth guard. Yeah. 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 So what happens is because your tongue knows that it's not supposed to be there, you tend to talk with a lisp, like how I am now. You know what I mean? So, you know, I got the drip, baby. Dude, it looks <laughs> like I got the drip. I had to let them know. Dude, it looks you feel me? I made all the white Christians mad. I don't care. Y'all will be all right. You <laughs> what, feel me? What made them mad? Did, what yeah, made them mad? What, what was because upsetting? they want to live my life and their life too. Like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm just like, why would you get it? Why would you get a gold grill? I'm like, because I wanted one. Wait, yeah. that made them mad? Yeah. No lie. Like, it was crazy. I'm like... At this point, I'm like, you're just nitpicking because I'm like, it's literally my money. Yeah. I worked for in your teeth. I can do what I want to do. Mouth. It is my teeth. Like I do what I want to do. Yeah. So it was just funny. Like I was <laughs> but it was fun. Most people enjoyed it. It's just, you know, there's always the super spiritual people that don't enjoy life and they want you not to enjoy yours. So but I, I still don't get what's offensive about it. Like why they would say yeah. anything. It, it's just like you getting earrings or you get, getting a new shirt. Like it's or some just, new glasses. Yeah. Like, who cares? Yeah. What's a, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's the suffering servant perspective. Like people think because I'm a Christian and I'm popular that they have to humble me. And anytime I do something nice for myself, like it's something like that. I feel like it's that. Like it's like, 
wait a minute, you're a Christian. You're not supposed to have this. I think that's the thing. I don't. Mm. And the thing is, I don't think it's coming from, I think it's coming from a, a honest level of concern. It's an immature theology of just joy. Like just because me having, me having a gold grill, just because that might make you prideful doesn't mean it's going to make me prideful. I know what you're saying. Like you know obviously I mean? a lot of the hipster pastors highlighted in GQ over the last five, 10 years, a lot of people height did the height beast pastors. Right. Right. You know, a lot of drew a lot of that same criticism, like how, you know, obviously preachers and sneakers is pointing out, you know, how, how does a man sure. of God like spend a thousand bucks on sneakers? So there is a right. debate there, but, but I'm not a pastor though. Like, right. right, right. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a rapper. <laughs> Derek isn't in vocational ministry and he's not, you know, like he's not flexing what right. the tithe that he's not looking down at the people who are tithing to his ministry for sure and showing them the Nike air right. fear of gods that he bought for 1200 bucks. You know what I mean? Right. There's a, right. there's right. A, with your, with your 10% of your check. Yeah. Like it's like, nah, I'm providing You're a running service for profit. Uh, yeah. 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 I'm, yes. and I'm going to spend my money. How I want to spend it. You feel me? But I think people get that confused. Like I think at times like, uh, and and some of that is just the evolution of um, Christian music. Like, cause I remember when I first started rapping, they told me I had the same qualify. I had to fit the same qualifications that a pastor would. Mm. And I'm looking, looking back on that. I'm like, that's crazy, but it would make sense why I, I don't, I, well, it doesn't make any sense, but I'm like, I, it kind of is, I see why people are confused because they, some people literally expect artists to hold the same, wait as a pastor i'm like bro like literally i'm just a guy rapping man like please don't look to me for your 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 pastoral leadership i'm gonna let you down man all i'm gonna do is post memes and raps on my ig so just i'm sorry if i disappointed yeah. you you know well, well the, the the other thing too is i think it i think it also highlights the um let's say conflicted relationships some christians have with um, conspicuous consumption. And what I mean by that is like, mm. when it comes to, to ministry, obviously, I think the concerns we articulated, you know, are, are reasonably well-founded. But when it comes to people who are not in vocational ministry or not, you know, wearing certain items from the pulpit, it's a, right. di- it's, it's a very different story, especially when you look at ethics, because, you know, I think... A lot of the the narrow thinking about consumption and, and certain luxury items, you know, for a lot of Christians, I think it comes down to this idea of how much that item cost. And it's like, well, you yeah. could have spent that money doing this or that. But in reality, any product you buy has a cost, but only a portion of that cost is monetary, right? So like mm. if I go to Walmart... Okay, and just buy like a cheap looking fake uh, gold watch. Okay, then that watch might cost me 15 bucks. Okay, but that doesn't mean it, 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 I might have paid $15 for it, but that doesn't mean it costs $15. It costs someone a lot of time for very low wages and probably, you know, unethical conditions to make that watch. You know, we know a lot about manufacturing in parts of the developing world and the environmental concerns, mm. the humanitarian concerns, the workers' rights concerns. So, yeah, it, it, I only paid $15 for it, but it costs a way more than that. But then you could say, well, that guy is wearing a $7,000 Rolex. 
And it's like, well, you know, that's not as ethical as a $15 Walmart. Well, it's like, yeah, he, he might have cost him $7,000, but that Rolex was built by craftspeople by hand who are compensated a very fair living wage who are are practicing a skill that has to be done by hand so you know from a technology from a technology and sustainability standpoint is actually going to be more sustainable for decades to come and yeah, it holds Ro- its value you mm-hmm. pass it down and, and I mean, yeah. Rolex happens to be a nonprofit a lot of people don't don't know or care they just see a luxury brand all I'm saying is like there's levels of complexity to these issues with conspicuous consumptions that aren't as simple as, well, that costs a lot of money, so it's bad. It's actually like, well, that costs a lot of money, so it might be more ethical than that cheap, you know, alternative. It, it's it's a tension because like Jesse, you pointed out, you know, the, the thing about the hype beast criticisms and the preachers of sneakers is that these are vocational ministers using essentially tithe money to, you know, fund a lavish lifestyle and there's, there's right. problematic things with that. But what you're talking about, Derek, is something that like even even the the lane that relevance in is we're a for-profit business that happens to do create media that has a spiritual mission, but we're not a nonprofit ministry. And so like capitalism and monetary success and profit is actually necessary for us to be able to do what we do. And then like for me personally, I experienced this a couple of years ago, Jesse, when uh, like for me, I we talk about environmentalism, we talk about consumption and and waste a lot. And so like my house, like very energy efficient. I have all the smart house stuff. I, I My goal is to almost be like carbon neutral with my house, right? Mm. So because of that, like my dream was always to have electric vehicles and stuff. And so when the cheap, when the cheap Tesla was announced, I like, I put the deposit down. I was excited. A couple of years ago, my, my Tesla shows up, right? And I'd post a picture on Instagram and I wasn't flaunting or whatever. In fact, it's the more monetarily conservative version of a Tesla. But it was like the the apex of everything that I thought was awesome. It was high tech. It was obviously, you know, fully electric and zero consumption, all that kind of stuff. I was very excited about it, posted a picture and got like, oh, how many poor people you could have bought food for with that money and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, I... You, it's almost like you can't win. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. if you if you if you have or show anything that somebody else doesn't have, another believer doesn't have, then they they find fault in that decision, even if it's done for the right reasons. Well, I just I know that I we, we just keep talking about. It. I want to say one thing real quick is Derek. I actually think, and I'm going to choose my words wisely here. I don't think people were upset with you because of the money aspect. I think if white Christians looked at Derek Minor, they would say. But you're a Christian rapper and those rappers wear gold grills. And so that means they're like not Christian. You can't you shouldn't do that because you're like our Christian rapper. You're like our black Christian rapper. And I think that they wouldn't know how to that gold grill equals bad. So why yes. does Derek have one? So to me, I'm yes. like, I think the people who were upset mm-hmm. with you, I don't even think it was about money. They don't, I don't know how much a gold girl costs for all. I know it was like, I don't know, 120 bucks. I have no idea. But I think they would really be like, oh, wait, no, 50 cent. They wear those. Our yeah. people, Derek, you're one of us. Don't put a mm-hmm. gold grill because we don't know what to do with that. That's yes. where I think they were upset with you. Yes, that that that's exactly what it is. And and the thing is, and I think I feel bad for them because I think our the church has not done a great job of educating people about liberties and the 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 wide breadth that we have as believers to live our lives. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I think people 
they live in such a restrictive God is this bully in the sky who's waiting to crush you for every mistake that you make. And then a lot of things are done out of fear. So, hey, don't go there because not because it's sinful, but because it could lead to skin or don't don't buy that. Don't buy the gold grill, not because the gold <laughs> grill is sinful, but because it could lead you to pride. Like you could put that in, look in the mirror, and then all of a sudden you think you're 50 Cent or Travis Scott, and then now you're you're shooting people. And it's like, it's it's this 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 fear that keeps people captive. And yeah. it's like, I feel bad for you because you live in fear. And, and the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but the spirit of love, the spirit of power and a sound mind. So I think you're absolutely correct in that. It's like, well, why can't I have one if it's not sinful? I like it. I like jewelry. Like, I think it's just that we've made things taboo that shouldn't be taboo. Like, yeah. Let's let's untaboo gold grills, guys. Can we do that on the? We're going to officially untaboo gold grills on the I'm relevant podcast. I'm gonna actually get one. This I'm thinking that we should all get them, and then we can I really make we them untaboo. I, <laughs> it is, it, you know, it is a, it is an interesting thing. I had, I was sitting here thinking while you were talking, Derek, and, and like trying to understand. I always, I really do, always try to understand where the other person's coming from to to have under you know empathy and. And, 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 and to listen, you know, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, everything you're saying. And, and I understand probably their tension. What you pointed out, Jamie, is that it's like we as believers shouldn't want to desire the things of the world or mm-hmm. desire the things that the world is desiring. We should have. And I, and so I understand the purity of that motive and, and, and what, and it is a, it is a thing of the heart. It is a thing that we as believers should always be holding up and wrestling with, to be honest with you. Cause like, like with us with relevant, like I do desire to make a lot of money so we can make amazing stuff and have a huge impact. And if we have very modest thinking, we will have a modest impact. And so like, I'm, I am trying to figure out always like how to run a bigger and better business and you got to spend money to make money. You got to have dope offices to attract the right kind of talent. You got to, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's like, there is a slippery slope there that like, maybe then my attention gets more focused on, the wrong things than the mission things. And I understand that tension. It is a pendulum that's always swinging in my heart and head over the years, you know, but so I get where they're coming from, but at, you're right too. Like at the same time, that's, that's about me. That's not about Derek minor. <laughs> you know, that's about, yes. that's about my, my life and my heart, what God's trying to like challenge me in my life to do right now versus like, I shouldn't impose my, convictions about that on Derek. I don't know where he's coming from. I don't know what he's spent on that. I don't know what he's doing to serve the less fortunate when he's not posting it on Instagram. You know what I'm saying? Let Derek be Derek and I'm just going to worry about me. That's a good way to live your life, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, like, yes, we have to be able to say like, there's things that Cameron may love that I don't love and that's okay. The Orlando magic. (laughs) Exactly. There you go. Listen, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm a Pistons fan, so you know I, I'm a glutton for punishment. But you know, <laughs> hey, like, hey guys, like, it, it's really weird. Like, we got a lot of growing to do. I'll just put it that way. Well, I don't know how to transition out of that, but we have a great <laughs> show in store for you today. <laughs> coming up, coming up later, we talk to the lead singer of Fruit Bats. Uh, they have a new album out today. It's called The Pet Parade. I love it. Uh, Eric Johnson is joining us. Stay tuned for that. We also have this week's Relevant Recommends. Of course, what's Jesse thinking? And stay tuned. Up next, it's Relevant News.
listening to Bakar. The song is First Time. Before we get to relevant news, I want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by Apartment Life. You've got to check out what our friends at Apartment Life are doing. They believe every individual is created for a community. So they're building that community among apartment neighbors. Right now, they're looking for folks who love Jesus, get excited about hospitality, and really take the opportunity to be with people when life gets tough. And get this, Apartment Life will equip you, walk alongside you, and provide you with either a reduced rent apartment or a part-time salary. Visit apartmentlife.org slash relevant to join them today. You don't want to miss this life-changing opportunity to really show the love of Christ to neighbors, especially these days. Again, that's apartmentlife.org slash relevant. Okay, it's time for Relevant Please welcome to the show, Relevant Senior Editor, Tyler Huckabee, telling us what's happening at the intersection of faith and culture this week. Hey, Tyler. Hey, everybody. What up? Hey, Tyler. What's going on? Hey, buddy. Nothing. <laughs> it's it's another it's a slow no this is this Nothing. is sort of, you guys called me <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is sort of an interesting one this is uh wanted to talk today about a story that i think actually has gotten quite a bit of attention like it's something that a lot of people have heard about but it's sort of poorly understood one of those that becomes a headline and a talking point but without a lot of clarity behind it and that is what's going on on in the world of Dr. Seuss right now, mm. and uh, oh, yeah. has everybody has everybody sort of seen that? Like Dr. Seuss, like maybe you saw the like Dr. Seuss is getting canceled situation, yes. and yes. that just kind I, of floats hey, out there. I don't, I don't know. I'm y- you. You can enlighten me, Tyler. I've seen the headlines. This is not one that I've done like much of a deep dive into, but I welcome Dr. Seuss's cancellation because <laughs> having read Dr. Seuss books to my children. You think in your mind a Dr. Seuss book is going to take five minutes to read, and it's like <laughs> if this if this jerk finds an, another thirty five pages of ways to rhyme the word socks, like I am going to lose my mind before my kid falls asleep. Like those books are so freaking long. Anyway, continue. Tom. Well, I, Jesse, in short, I'll catch you up. It turns out that there's half a dozen of his books that might have had racist overtones mm. in it. So, yeah, well, was, another reason to welcome the cancellation. <laughs> <laughs> there's more than one. Well, it's so this is sort of a uh, it's something that that is like easy fodder for people who are always talking about cancel culture, right? Like the, if if cancel culture is your boogeyman, then the Dr. Seuss situation gives you a lot of opportunities to whine about cancel culture a little more. So what? What happened is this, and this is sort of interesting to dig when you start to dig into the story here. So it started on uh, actually last month in February when the Daily Caller, Ben Shapiro's website, noted that an educators group had released a statement urging teachers to stop connecting Read Across America Day with Dr. Seuss. And they highlighted some racist, mostly uh, anti-Asian caricatures in a couple Seuss books as justification for their argument. Then on March 1, President Joe Biden released a statement cheering Read Across America Day, and he did not mention Dr. Seuss. And that was all some of these people needed to like get up in arms about it, right? That was like, he didn't even talk about Dr. Seuss on Read Across America Day. Joe Biden canceled Dr. Seuss, and that's the end of it. But the real blow did come with this uh, this book situation. Dr. Seuss Enterprises, that's the estate that handles Dr. his family, that handles all of his works, announced that they will stop publishing six Dr. Seuss books 
because of illustrations of people of color that are hurtful and wrong, according to them. And they made the evaluation of these books uh, because of a study conducted by a nonprofit called Learning for Justice. They conducted a study on Seuss books in 2019. And I'm just going to read a little section of their report here. They said, of the 2,240 identified human characters in 50 Dr. Seuss books, there are 45 characters of color, representing 2% of the total number of human characters. Of those 45 characters, 43 exhibited behaviors and appearances that align with harmful and stereotypical Orientalist tropes. The remaining two human characters are identified in the text as African and both align with the theme of anti-blackness. It's important to note that each of the non-white characters is male, and they're all presented in subservient, exotified, or dehumanized roles, especially in relation to white characters. So that was the study that was being conducted here that sort of gave the the, the legacy of Dr. Seuss, the estate of Dr. Seuss, the reason that why they decided to stop publishing these books. Now, these books are not being pulled. They're not being banned, right? They're not being pulled from the bookshelves or from the libraries, necessarily. They can still choose to have them in there, but we're not going to be getting new printed copies of these books in the future because of the results of the study. And those books, just to be clear, uh, are And to Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street, If I Ran the Zoo, McElliot's Pool, On Beyond Zebra, Scrambled Egg Super, and The Cat's Quizzer. So Dr. Seuss at large has not been canceled, but but those six in particular books are, will no longer be getting new copies printed out at the regular intervals like most Dr. Seuss books are. Mm. Interesting. I don't think I've read any of those books. I don't even. Have I, I got like the bangers like two. You know? and I, I, yeah, I've yeah. never noticed any races at all in, in the books that I've read. Yeah, they're mostly they're like just, creatures. Yeah, they're okay. weird cartoon creatures. Yeah, it, wasn't there yeah. some uh, propaganda images too that he had drawn from? World War II. Did I read that or am I making this up with another yes, story? That was, yes. yes. Uh-huh. He's an interesting guy. He had a lot of uh, political ideals that would be considered pretty like socially, politically progressive, even by our standards today. He was very uh, he was very opposed to nationalism. He was very skeptical. He, he sort of famously there was this uh, movement even at dur- during his prime that was called America First that was kind of aesthetically similar to the America First movement now that he was very critical of it. He compared it to the Nazi party in Germany, which obviously raised a lot. Of- so he was kind of in those ways, kind of an interesting advocate. But then you also have like with a lot of people from that time, uh, some uh, he's, he's messy. He gets complicated the more you dig into some of this stuff, especially when it comes to depictions of, uh, of people who were not white. How interesting. I, I think it's completely reasonable, it seems completely reasonable to me, to, with the benefit of hindsight, you know, extract things from the marketplace that no longer align with what are socially accepted values, right? Like, I don't see why that's all that controversial, you know? Um, but it, it does seem like the... It, it it seems like honestly the criticisms of cancel culture are adapting the worst part the like the the people who are railing some of the high profile people who are railing against cancel culture are using the methods that they're accusing the cancelers of like they're using mm. the same behavior that they're criticizing what i mean by that is like you know, if they're saying, well, everyone's too sensitive today, uh, we, we shouldn't worry about things that that don't really you know matter anymore. It's like, well, then why are you getting up in arms about them not printing Dr. Seuss books that you probably don't even own or never plan to own? Why does it bother mm-hmm. you at all? Like, it seems like 
the estate of Dr. Seuss, these teachers, booksellers, all collectively determined the best thing to do is to no longer print these. Why does that bother? Why is that bothersome to like a critic to to some to these people who are you know railing on you know using this as an example of the you know the, how far cancel culture's gone? It's like the Mr. Potato Head thing, where it's like, hey, we're not going to make a Mr. Potato um, Head. I, I believe Mr. Potato Head prefers the term Potato Head now, yeah. Jesse. Well, well, I don't even know what that is about. Honestly, and the narrative got got misconstrued about that, Jesse. Hasbro tried to, via Twitter, correct the statement that everybody was saying about the potato head thing. So the story was that they're removing Mr. and Mrs. and that it's just all gender neutral potato heads. You can dress them how you want. Everything's fluid. There, but Hasbro was like, people, no, 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 no. There is still a Mr. Potato Head and a Mrs. Potato Head. It's just we're changing the name to the Potato Head brand. It's not the Mr. Potato Head brand. It's the Potato Head brand. And we have the character Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. Potato Head. But the narrative was gender neutral potatoes everywhere, you know, whatever. And which, so it's which, just by like the way, much ado about nothing. I, I hate to tell this to all those, you know, people who are upset about this. Potatoes have no gender. They all potatoes are gender. There is no, there are no Mr. Miss Potato Heads in the wild. Um, you know, they are roots from my understanding. They are root balls to a plant. Um, but the, but you know, it, it's just another, it, it was like when Target was like, uh, oh, there's no longer a boy's section and a girl's section in, in the, the toys, toy store. Yeah. And people yeah. got all acted like that's going to affect their lives at all. Where it's like, no, maybe it just makes more sense not to have the gender designation for Legos and just have a Lego aisle. Because yeah. I have a daughter who likes Legos too. Or, yeah. right. you know, let's put all the Paw Patrol in one aisle because guess what? There are boy and girl characters in Paw Patrol and there's a universally bafflingly beloved franchise like if, if i if i have a kid of any gender that wants to watch paw patrol i probably can't stop them like it just seems like the people who are so worried about cancel culture are picking the worst things to to to, to stake a clay man to be like oh this is the sign of how far it's gone it's like no actually these seem like very rational reasonable steps when you actually hear about them like these aren't this is seems like uh, the things moving in the right direction to me i'm like fam if if whatever the culture of your home is can be upended by people taking the gender off of a potato it's Brand. not very strong guys <laughs> you gotta get back in the gym and shoot some more shots buddy so tyler i have a question are you saying that most people are upset because the Dr. Seuss Foundation or whatever said, hey, we're going to take these six books that our dad or our grandpa wrote. We don't agree with them. We're not going to print them anymore because we think they're doing more harm. That's what they said as an organization. And then are people upset about that? That's correct. That's the, yeah. that's yeah, I'm the, with you, Jerry. You, I, Jesse, I don't know what that, that's like saying, you know what? My grandpa said some crazy stuff and you know what? We're going to, we're going to just take that stuff off the internet because we don't agree with that. But you know, so let's just take it off. Right? I'm not going to put the finger at any at any one news site here that's responsible. Okay. You know, we're not. We're, I'm not about. I'm not about pointing fingers. I don't put people on blast. We don't cancel people here on the relevant podcast. But there is a news site that is seems like it's particularly guilty. It rhymes with what? Just tell me what it rhymes this. with. Tyler. Oh, I don't. We'll go. I'm, you know, I'm terrible at that. I'm not. A, this is that's somebody else's job. But guys, but please listen. I'm like, fam, it's a book. 
And these are not even the starting lineup of the Dr. Seuss books. I never heard of any yeah. of them. I've yeah. not heard of none of them. I never heard this of is, them. This is the ones that sit on the bench. These are the ones you <laughs> that, that you C only Lester. get it right. You only get it unless somebody like mailed it to you if you're part of a book club. Like you don't go out and be like, man, you know, I'm gonna give my kids green eggs and ham, uh, get them cat in a hat, and then I'm gonna go get them the fox behind the bushes. You like what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My favorite. Yeah, that's that's a good. That's a that's a winner. There. Can I believe they're canceling the fox behind the bushes? You like? <laughs> I never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one little wrinkle on this. Two two little wrinkles on this. Uh, you know, like can we just say like like we're trying to say here? Like you know, they said that they're going to discontinue these books because they portray people in ways that are hurtful and wrong. Can we just like say that like hey, we shouldn't probably hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our, our fellow humans like, like that. We should just yeah. try try to try to lift the books. narrative here. Okay, so so that good for them, like not publishing things that are hurtful to to people who aren't like me, right? Okay, right. so good for them having empathy. What's interesting is two things that happened after this announcement. One, the books that are getting discontinued shot up in price online. Oh wow! But what's interesting here in Orlando, I'm here in Orlando, and we have Universal Studios, which has a huge Dr. Seuss land. Yeah, you can literally go up and buy like green eggs and ham and eat it, and all of a sudden, you know, there's rides and stuff like that. But what's interesting is we're talking about like who cares? These are peripheral books. Nobody's heard of these books. Two of the books are actually major parts of this land. Oh, so okay. there, wow. there is um, a part called uh, "If I Ran the Zoo," which is one of the books getting discontinued, and some of the characters that de- portray Asian people insensitively are actually depicted in this oh, interactive. My goodness, like, See, that's a big deal. Attraction. That's yeah. an Orlando okay. problem. So that's yeah. that's one. And yeah. then two, there's a gift shop called the Mulberry Street Store, which gets its name from. And to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street, which is another book that. It's being discontinued and it that store sold these books that are getting discontinued so uh, so now universal studios put out a big announcement that they're reevaluating they're gonna, they yeah. love they it's a very popular land and it, the majority of it is you know green eggs and ham and cat in the hat stuff and they're not going to take that all away but they are going to reevaluate these uh the ones that are connected to these different yeah. Nobody things. else is going to say hey, it, I will. But again, if you cancel like, me I'm, for this one, nobody cares about the Dr. Seuss part of that park. People go there for Hogwarts. <laughs> the rest of it, the, the rest of it people. is bad. You got Harry Potter land. That's cool. Here's my sizzling hot take is, yeah, no one is like, I have to fly down to Orlando and get it. No, it's overflow for when you can't get on a Harry Potter ride or a Marvel ride. Okay? Sure. Uh, Look, no, yeah. Yeah, thank you, Tyler, for saying that. Because the rest of that park not, is in disrepair it looks like a dystopian hellscape except for harry potter which they pump billions of dollars into every year the rest of it is falling apart it looks like like joker setting up a batman trap somewhere listen all dr seuss world is at universal anyway is a parking lot for humans that can't get into like they're like okay they park their cars here they got to go somewhere where they're waiting for their fast pass for harry potter to go get a butter beer or whatever send them over to dr seuss world nothing's happening there we guarantee no line are forming like that's true it's true if you just want to be in the AC for 10 minutes you just go over jump on the no line Dr. Seuss ride that that's is what I'm saying it's like, who, are, who are the people actually 
actually outraged by this. Like, yeah. who are the persons like, no, I can't go to the Mulberry Street Cafe <laughs> nestled in a corner of Universal Studios that no one goes to. Who are these people that are that are yeah. upset? Like, maybe we should be championing the fact that there's going to be a cafe in the Seuss land that won't be hurtful and hurtful there you go. to They're gonna redo some it. people. You know what I mean? Like, good. They're going to change it. All right. Well, there's a lot more that we're reporting every day than just uh, uh, Seuss news and potato head news. Uh, check us out on all the socials. You can follow Relevant on Twitter, Facebook, IG, and check out relevantmags.com all day for what's happening at the intersection of faith and culture. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, everybody. Bye, Thanks, Tyler. dude. That'll do it for Relevant Stay tuned. Up next, Eric Johnson from Fruit Bats joins us. You're listening to Oceanator. The song is I Would Find You. Well, today's episode is brought to you by podcast creation platform, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor yet, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. There are custom tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and every major platform. The cool thing is you can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Well, Fruit Bats is a folk rock band led by Eric Johnson. He's had a long career in music, most recently earned two Grammy nominations with Bonnie Light Horseman. The Fruit Bats have over 1.5 million monthly listeners on Spotify and just released a new album today called The Pet Parade. I would pay to see that. We sat down with Eric to talk about the new album, why his music seems to be connecting with fans now more than ever, and finding ways to be creative even when you're not feeling all that creative. Here's our conversation with Fruit Bats' Eric Johnson. Well, you So with this new album out and the way the world is right now, are there any plans to do a tour in the near future? Or do you have any idea what that might even look like? Yes and no. There is like, you know, I've been in contact with my agent, my booking agent who does my shows and everything for, you know, we we check in all the time. And uh, the I think the what I get the sense is the general feeling in the live music community which is to say promoters and agents is that they're sort of like moving ahead with this fall 2021 thing with the notion of like maybe we're sort of making plans with the notion of like 
I, we'll just see what happens. I don't know. Like most of us, that's a communal sense that I've had zero of for a year now. And uh, being in the same room, singing the same songs, I don't think I realized how vital that is to my sense of community. Same here. And like, because my community has been, well, A, I was so spurnt out on it and sick of it at some point, like, you know, a year and whatever ago. And, and I, I do love doing it too. Uh, that's a, I think a lot of us have mixed relationships with it. Cause it's like, there's things about it that are awesome and things about it that are weird. Um, but I was, you know, feeling kind of burned out on it. And then now I'm like, Oh my, it's the, it's a, it's a, it's the classic, like absence makes the heart grow fonder, grew, always greener kind of pick your cliche thing. So yeah, I'm, I am like, I am ready to get back out there. So I'm not a songwriter, <laughs> but uh, but when it's time for a new album, do you uh, do you set a theme or an intention? Do you have a a vibe you're generally shooting for, or do you just write until it's time to release it all to your fans? I think I wanted to be a screenwriter or like a filmmaker when I was uh, younger, like before I was in bands, and so I, I've always like there's a bit of like a cinematic multiverse with my. Uh, recordings and I like to sort of think of them as movies. So yes, I do. And then it always changes. Um, it always ends up being something else, but that's how I write too. And how I make records too. I'm a, I'm not a Brian Wilson, uh, like I don't have a tape recorder in my brain. Uh, I, it's, I always refer to it as, um, walking down the wrong hallway. Like I, I like to, to sort of find a door and open it and get lost in the in this uh, big house that is the album and I I need for it I need to kind of start with something and have it be something else at the end I think uh, so um so what did this album start out as and how did it evolve as it came together you know I was writing the songs in late 2019. Josh Kaufman, my dear friend and Bonnet Horseman bandmate and, and producer kind of got brought on and, and he was in LA at my house um, in the first couple of weeks. He brought his wife and daughter and we made like a little vacation out of it. And we were in pre-production for this album and it was literally March 10th, 11th. And uh, he, we were like, uh, and incidentally, Josh's dad is a retired epidemiologist <laughs> too. So it was like the, he, he was like, I got to leave. We got to go home. So we, cause we were about to, and so we were working on pre-production and I was going to come to New York uh, a couple weeks later and we were just going to get started. So um, yeah, this, uh, there was a bit of a before and after with this. So the theme was, um, the theme really wasn't together, but I, I was writing these songs even before that were a lot about uh, sort of isolation. And um, I was just more thinking about culture um, and uh, I'm never writing about the internet. That's a really weird thing to write about, but I, and I'm not even really a very uh, active social media person, but um, I am fascinated by um, people's uh, togetherness and isolation. I think that was like a lot of the themes that I was working on in these songs. And this was before um, 
the pandemic and when we all really became isolated. So I'm not trying to say I'm some sort of prescient wizard or something, but uh, yeah, it um, it tied into what I was trying to talk about a little bit. Yeah, I never set out with a theme, but the world kind of gave me one. We all make vows to ourselves Not to keep these things close to our chests But it's so hard to promise ourselves That we won't lie to ourselves I'm curious, do you feel ownership over the way people uh, might take the songs you're writing? The fact that you've written about something specific, but then it might be interpreted in a different way, does that bug you? No, not at all. And and in fact, I like uh, I like to sort of write very specific lines in a song and then maybe just, just sort of tumble into an oblique little stretch too where... Um, you can kind of go off and it's like a little more visual and imagistic or, or something. And um, I mean, yeah, as long as people don't interpret it in a bad way, I guess, like, I think like there was a time, I think because I write in very, I write in major keys and I write boppy little songs that people, I think I just have had more popularity in the last few years. I think people get it more because they just think about me more or something. There was a I, like, which is great. So there was a time when I, I think like um, I would get upset because people were like, oh, this is fun, light, meaningless music because it, it's like mid tempo and major key. And um, where I was like, no, man, I'm writing about my feelings. And, you know, you get this a little bit of a younger, younger songwriter uh, defensiveness. Um, I don't have that anymore, but I, I'm. I think, again, I think people are listening a little better now, too. So, um, yeah, interpret as you will. What are some of the songs you'd say were the most challenging or most rewarding on this album? What is one that maybe like stood out? There's always like, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I kind of always have those on um, on every album. You've got your little favorite. I mean, a song like Discovering, that wasn't challenging, Um those type of like loping mid-tempo songs with, with those type of, it's always the song that I'm probably pretty sure will not be the single and will not have like 20 kablillion Spotify streams and, or whatever. It's, it's like, uh, it's always the song I maybe kind of wrote for myself a little bit or, or sounds like a, it sounds like music that I would even more listen to than myself which is always a, that's always a weird thing it's like are you making music for yourself or who are you making it for but a whole another digression but um yeah like something like discovering which was that really is the way oldest song on the record that i josh kaufman and i actually kind of wrote that together like a few years ago even before we were doing our bonnie light horseman project together it was kind of our first time getting into a studio and trying to figure out what our relationship was. So it has a little bit of a special thing to me. It's, it's very, very autobiographical, which they all kind of are. Um, but yeah, it just, I think it has a sound that I just really, that, that speaks to me. And again, it probably won't be the hit on the record either. So I always like that. It's like the, I always like my forgotten children. Those are uh, always tend to be my favorite. A song like complete, um, which, which is towards the end of the record. I think it's the last song on the record. That's, uh, the first one I've done in a while where it's just me and a guitar, which usually I don't do something like that. I have the tendency to um, 
So I, I like I like sort of the starkness of that. So yeah, it's it's usually this the I'll get a couple favorites on there. It's the ones that I know are gonna get buried a little bit. Then let a dead run dead dreaming. Watching the leaves a shivering. There is no clear objective today. No aim, no theme. You mentioned that tension of uh, who am I writing for? Myself or other people? Do you have a an answer to that, or uh, how how do you navigate that when you're putting an album together? I think even the biggest pop artists, um, even though they're making the most commercial music possible, and there, there's probably like a, a group of music scientists in the room at all times, making sure that uh, it's going to have the most radio impact or whatever. I still have to think the really good ones um, are still kind of like what they're listening to, you know, like that, that they want to do it. And that if you do something, if you, you couldn't, possibly make something that you hate (laughs) and put it out in the world and have other people like dig it. So, I mean, I think we all are just making it for a bit. Long story short, I think we're all making it for ourselves. And and if we're not, you haven't heard that music because it's awful. And like, it's, it can't, it doesn't get out there, you know? Um, Because yeah, I have like, I have that argument, like when with friends of the indie rock friends of mine and, and people of astute musical taste will hear some kind of, you know, bad pop song on the radio. And they're like, Ugh, how does anyone like this? And I'm like, someone does, you know, like, they're, or they're like, this is so bad. And I'm like, I mean, to you, but like, obviously, yeah, like so someone put work into it. But um, I, I learned from making that Bonnie that Horseman record, which is like the first thing I've ever done that like got Grammy nominations and all this stuff was just that it was so simple how we did. It was just, it was like the, you know, like if it was food, it was not like molecular gastronomy. We were not like cooking with blow torches and uh, serving the, it on perfect plated, you know, crazy plates at the fancy restaurant. This was just, just like we had like a barbecue with the. It was just like a piece of meat on the grill kind of thing. And I just saw how people responded to that. And I think um, I think you can be totally connected with something really, really simple if you're just it's, it just sounds like such a cliche. But, you know, just coming from the heart and and like believing in it i guess man that's got to be so affirming when you release something that's very personal very intimate to you and it gets released and it's successful it kind of maybe makes you feel like you're not as alone as you thought you were yeah and i've had that I've, i've been lucky enough to have that experience the past uh few records with brute bats too and i i just made a lot of music that didn't get heard for years and i somehow i think i'm just must be a crazy person or something. I just like kind of kept going. I didn't like, I, I didn't let it break me or I would get little, you get little tastes of things. And then kind of starting with the absolute loser record in 2016, which I like, I think people like suddenly took notice it, it after me kind of worked doing it for 15 years uh, before that. And um, I mean, not that people hadn't heard it, but it had been a very boutique uh, operation for a long time, but yeah, I would always just have one little weird thing happen every year where I was like, I, okay, I can, I could try another one. So, um, in a way, I sort of feel lucky that it didn't, things didn't start moving for me until a little later in life because I, I think I've had a, been able to have a good perspective on it. 
He looked at the smoke It was like he'd seen the ghosts Of everyone you'd ever know Hovering over the hills He's still from the west coast Is the only home you That was Eric Johnson. You can check out Fruit Bats' new album, The Pet Parade, wherever you get your music. Stay tuned up next. It's Relevant Recommends, and then What's Jesse Thinking? This week on Relevant Recommends, we're looking at the latest book from Anne Lamott. It's called Dusk, Night, Dawn. So Anne Lamott has had a really interesting writing career. She kind of made her name in the early aughts uh, with the surge of Christian memoirists like Don Miller and Lauren Winter detailing her own experience with faith or what we'd now probably call deconstruction. Uh, but her story was pretty different from a lot of her peers. It involved a lot of complicated battles with loss and addiction and a much messier relationship with Jesus than even the most honest writer usually cares to admit in Christian publishing. But Lamont's vulnerability and her sort of darkly funny style of writing won her a lot of fans. She's a very good writer and people swear by her many, many best-selling books. Her novels are very well regarded, uh, but she's best known these days for her nonfiction and uh, her talent for crafting these easily quotable little bon mots about grief and joy and hope and pain and most of all God. So that's where we come with her latest book with Dusk Night Dawn. It was written during and about the pandemic and more to the point it's kind of about our current moment and how hard it is to find hope right now and uh, why we need to do it anyway. As usual, Lama is interested in justice. She spends a lot of time meditating on things like climate change, but uh, her best writing is really inward as she dissects her recent marriage. She's been single all her life, and she just got married in 2019 at the age of 65. Uh, she talks about alcoholism, getting older, and of course, God. Everybody says they want honest writing about God, but in reality, I think we all kind of know there are certain, uh, like, kinds of honesty that aren't really allowed in Christian publishing. And if Lamont knows about these unspoken rules, she's never abided by them. And she certainly doesn't start here. She seems like a writer who knows the contours of her soul very intimately. And she isn't shy about writing them down. Uh, and she often drops these in the middle of little anecdotes about her life up in Northern California. For example, she writes, quote, I have forgiven most people who have hurt me or behaved atrociously to those I love. Although there is one family member who I'm positive makes Jesus sick to his stomach, yet from time to time I forgive myself for being a bad forgiver. At some point you realize that we all have dual citizenship here, perfect and neurotic. So it's that sort of uh, uh, painstaking attention to her own predilections that makes Lamont continue to be such a vital read, not just for people interested in faith, but just for people who like good writing in general. She's she's very good at it. Uh, Lamont keeps a pretty great streak of readable, poetic meditations alive with Dusk Night Dawn. It's out right now, and we recommend it. You can read more Relevant Recommends at RelevantMagazine.com. You're listening to Skeleton. The song is Walking on Your Name. 
It's skeleton, T-E-N, not T-O-N. Okay, it's time for... What's Jesse thinking? Huh? Jesse, what are you thinking this week? <laughs> I'm thinking this. We probably should be concerned about how we're treating octopuses out in the oh. wild. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it octopi? It may be. And that <laughs> transgression. Oh, no. I will say this. They might remember that transgression because a new study has found that uh, uh, cephalopods, which is a, uh, it's a marine mollusk, which includes squids, octopi, and in this face, cuttlefish, are actually maybe way, way smarter than we know. And why this is so interesting, too, because I don't know, have you guys ever seen a cuttlefish before? They, I would encourage you to Google one. They look like something to have a Dr. Seuss novel, uh, a non-problematic Dr. Seuss book. Um, they look like this crazy fish. And for a long time, you know, oh, Simon, yeah, it has like a unicorn whoa, horn on gosh. it. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, it doesn't. That's a tentacle. I'm no, sorry. No, it, thing it, is rough. You know, it's got like a weird kind of face. It, it, yeah. It's just, it's very hard to describe, actually. It's like a tentacle <laughs> face. Yeah. Um, and so for a long time, scientists have suspected that cephalopods, which include octopi, octopi squid, and, and, and the cuttlefish, among other animals, are actually really, really smart. And even though they look like just blobs, uh, actually might have some cognitive ability. So um, they recently conducted s- some, some research for the cuttlefish, and it found that these cuttlefish are smarter than human children. Okay, so <laughs> have you guys ever heard of the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment? Is it where you put them, you, you, you sit the marshmallows there, you leave the room and see if the kids are going to eat them? Yeah. So basically, uh, the, the, how this experiment works is it, is it um, investigates the, the capacity to uh, engage proactive um, delayed gratification, which is a primary indicator of cognition, right? If you have cognitive ability, if you are willing to delay immediate gratification for greater gratification in the future. So what they did for these children back in, in the, sta- the famous Stanford experiment is they put them in a room and put a marshmallow they've done it with a variety of like sweets but put them in a room with a piece of candy uh, or a cookie or a marshmallow and say listen kid you can sit here and you can eat that marshmallow but i'll tell you this i'm going to leave the room in 15 minutes if i come back and that marshmallow is still there i will give you two marshmallows but if you eat the one you get nothing um and over and over again kids uh, a lot of children lack the ability to delay gratification um even though they know what the outcome so uh what they did is they performed a similar experiment with cuttlefish now first they had to train them uh to if they were to uh chew basically it involved pretty elaborate tests um to determine if they would wait to consume a food that and by the way these cuttlefish eat pretty good believe (laughs) or not they eat like shrimp they eat mussels a lot of stuff that i would eat too that if you want to put me in a delayed gratification test give me some shellfish man because that is a good eating (laughs) but they found that repeatedly cuttlefish in these different scenario situations would avoid eating something uh that they know they liked if they know that if they waited they would get something better uh a few minutes later they also scientists constructed these pretty elaborate um 
sort of like aquariums that had food in different areas and they would designate the compartments of this food with you know reasonably elaborate symbols that the cuttlefish were later able to identify so they were able to associate the visual symbol like a triangle with a certain type of food and so not only were they able to indicate that they were actually practicing delayed gratification to get better food in the future they were also able to identify symbols associated with different foods and then use the scientists were able to construct delayed gratification uh, experiments using only symbols and not food and every time the cuttlefish uh, uh, displayed cognition that was very unexpected and in fact was greater than the cognition at least when it came to delayed gratification and symbol recognition of some uh, human children so all i'm saying mm. maybe we should start treating these these octopi <laughs> made these cuttlefish okay. a little bit better okay so so it's octopuses just okay. oh you looked it up I looked it up. Octopi is listed as an acceptable option by Merriam-Webster's dictionary, but the preferred plural is octopuses. I don't like octopuses that. Octopuses like falls word. in the same category as moist. I don't like the word octopuses. Yeah, it, mo- moist is an awful word, and I, I don't so, like the octopus. Here, here's all I'm saying, word. guys. If you're swimming out in the, uh, you know, I know Tyler mm-hmm. is has a phobia of tentacled animals, so I've, I'm glad he's not on for this. If you're seeing one, be Very. nice. Be nice to that octopus because you know my I haven't seen it, but my my <laughs> parents, my if you see one in the wild, it should be nice because it's pretty smart. My parents like since COVID have just they never even knew how to turn on Netflix before COVID, and now they've yeah. watched everything on Netflix since they've been in quarantine. <laughs> Literally, they've watched everything. And they're like, hey man, you need to check out this movie called My Friend the Octopus. It's about a guy who develops a relationship with an octopus, and I'll be honest. I've watched a lot of weird stuff on Netflix. That that was of no interest to me. Now I'm queuing that thing up tonight. <laughs> like, no, my parents are right. This this doc looks legit. This guy befriended a freaking octopus. That octopus is pretty smart, man. Like, if I can def- befriend a child, I should be able to befriend the, befriend the octopus. Oh They're pretty gosh. smart. So, guys, be nice to any cephalopods you see out there. All right. Well, there you go. That, that'll do it for this week's. What's Jesse thinking? Huh? Hey, before we wrap things up, uh, I want to thank Eric Johnson for joining us. Make sure to check out Fruit Bats on IG at fruit underscore bats. Listen, there's a new issue of Relevant. The March-April issue uh, just released, issue 105, this week. And we'd love for you to check it out. If you didn't see the trailer and the announcement on our social media or email, uh, it is out now. We have our favorite duo, Johnny Swim, is on the cover. A uh, fascinating conversation about their year and what's coming up for them. We also have comedian Nate Bargatze, who I am a huge fan of. We have Hillsong United's Taya is in the issue. We also have one of my favorite actors, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, who's in uh, Atlanta and so many other projects, Knives Out, but also the brand new Judas and the Black Messiah. He's the Judas We also have Tim Keller. We have more of that conversation you heard part of on the podcast recently with Rachel Denhollander. We have the the full thing pretty much there. You need to check that out. It's an important conversation. We also talk about gender equality and church leadership. We talk about the climate change, uh, the, the fight for climate change. Just a ton going on. It is packed to the gills. And guess what? It is available ad free and for free because it is exclusively presented by our friends at UHSM. So go check it out. It's at relevantmagazine.com. Just click on the magazine tab and it's all right there for free. Thanks to UHSM. Also, 
While you're at the site, every Friday, make sure to check out our new feature, Relevant Recommends. It's not only uh, the selection you hear here on the show, but also our favorite movies, books, TV shows, you know, everything else going on, releasing each week. We kind of help you curate it and sort through it all. It's there at the site. And while you're also at the site, sign up for our new newsletters. Relevant Today is our daily morning email, our top five trending articles of the day, just the best of the best. And also Deeper Walk, our new devotional, daily devotional every weekday. It's an email. You can check it out on the site. And it's also a new podcast. Uh, you can go over where we get your podcasts and find Deeper Walk. It is phenomenal. On that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Jamie Ivey. I'm Derek Miner. We will see you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Check out our features, interviews, and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com. And make sure to follow Relevant on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest. For more great podcasts, browse the shows on the Relevant Podcast Network, which you can find at our site. And while you're there, don't miss the all-new era of Relevant Magazine. A new issue releases every other month at RelevantMagazine.com. Can't go to the Mulberry Street Cafe. Relevant Podcast Network.